And welcome on in to the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. He is George Bremer. I am Ryan Hickey. Make sure you check us out on YouTube, the Blue Horseshoe Pod, where you can watch us each and every podcast we post. Or if you're more of a listener, don't worry, we got you covered too. The Blue Horseshoe Pod, bright blue logo, wherever you do get your podcasts. All right, George, we got really two big topics we want to kind of dive uh, into today on the pod. Later in the show, we will get to kind of breaking down Anthony Richardson expectations by comparing uh, Peyton Manning's rookie year and discuss if Anthony Richardson puts up similar numbers to Peyton did back in 1998, would that be a success? We'll kind of break down some of those numbers there as I'm already banging the microphone too excited, as you can tell, to kind of break down that comparison. But before we get to that, George, CBS Sports had an interesting article as we do record this here on Tuesday afternoon. And that was basically they broke down the best dynamic duo on each team in the NFL. Now, their qualifications for what a dynamic duo means or or their qualifications for what a dynamic duo looks like for each team was they have to play on both uh, on the same side of the ball. So you can't have, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, Jonathan Taylor and Shaq Leonard. That's not a dynamic duo. You got to be either both on offense or both on defense. They can play the same position if you want, but it's not exactly a prerequisite and they don't have to play an official game together. So they could pair a rookie with a veteran. In this case, obviously for the Colts, if you wanted to, you could say Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor, even though they've never played a game together, that would still count. Now, before we kind of dive into maybe what we think will be or or needs to be the best duo this year for the Colts, CBS Sports, they're pick for the Colts, the best dynamic duo for this year, little prediction, is Quinn Nelson and Ryan Kelly. Would you agree with that? Would you agree going into the season right now, you think the best duo the Colts have would be their left guard and center? I don't think going into the year coming off of last year, but I think if that does prove to be true, it would be incredibly helpful to this football team. And I think there's reason to believe both guys are going to bounce back. You know, I know – Nelson had not his normal off season last year, just because of all the back things and, you know, everything he dealt with the year before. Uh, So I think he's back to entirely full health. Now you would hope that that's going to lift him a little bit. And you hope that the play on the other side of him at left tackle will will maybe uh, improve enough that it'll help him to return more to, to what we've seen from him throughout his career. And Ryan Kelly, you know, that guy between injuries and off the field situations went through probably more than anyone on this team uh, in the last two years. And so I think a lot of that is is in a better place right now. Physically, he's in a good place. They've yeah. obviously uh, he and his wife have twins on the way, which is outstanding news. Um, and so I think you might see him be able to to make that bounce back as well. I think it's important for the team that it happens. You know, I don't think I would going in. I, I don't know who I would say the best duo is. That's I'm interested to see what your thoughts are. I got one going. So I think we can handle this in two, I think, discussions. We can do right now best going in and maybe the the duo the Colts need to be the best, you know, uh, when the season is over. But I think going in, I think you would like this one a lot. Doesn't it have to be just Forrest Buckner and Grover Stewart on the inside? Yeah, after you say that, like all of a sudden, I'm like, I, I really was not thinking about the obvious answer here. Um, those two, DeForest gets all the national attention, and rightfully so, because he's a beast. Uh, I think he's led the team in, in sacks two of the three years he was here, and 
he's a leading guy coming back this year. Um, and then Grover, I, I just think is underrated, you know, except by this pod, uh, because That's right. he's just been so productive. Um, he's such a huge part of the run defense, obviously, but he'll surprise you with his pass rush. He's not a consistent pass rusher, though. He says this year he's he's going to stay on the field all three downs. Um, but he makes plays in that area of the game. And I think when teams don't really respect that, they pay. You know, the teams that that aren't thinking about him in, in that area end up picking up their quarterback at least once off the field as a, as a result of it. So, yeah, I think those two, if, if I'm looking at two players on the team who – I have the most confidence in that the things are going to be fine. They're right there at the top of the list. I think it underscores Grover Stewart's underratedness because again, it, like you're right. Come like this is, and again, CBS sports is doing this going into this year. So it's not really a projection, but it's kind of look at the roster. Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly having arguably their worst years of their career last year. There's no reason right now you could argue they're the most important. And that, again, that's a different conversation of who the Colts need to be their best duo but going into the year, it's the interior. And I get it. Interior is not sexy. And like you said, DeForest Buckner gets a lot of the headlines. And Grover Stewart just kind of weirdly outside of Colts Nation does his business. Great business. Basically in the dark. No one is noticing. That's a guy that absolutely you pair those two together on the interior. That is, I think, by far, especially with the injuries to Shaq Leonard, um, as well in the secondary being a massive question. Like there's a lot of question marks on this team. I think for the Colts, at least, easily going in the the duo under these rules that you would say is the best going into this year, definitely would be Buckner and uh, and Stewart without a doubt. When it comes to importance, though, George, like who the Colts need at the end of the year to be the best dynamic duo, I would argue at least on offense, I would say Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce, because if they are having. You know, for Pierce, he takes a step in year number two, and Pittman kind of really builds consistency and really is a good safety blanket for Anthony Richardson. That's just going to make his development so much better and really make him that much more, you know, better of a quarterback because not only now do you have two reliable targets, especially with Pierce's skill set of being the deep threat guy, and we know that's Richardson's, you know, strength right now is throwing the deep ball in one of the areas. He is already, you know, has more progress in compared to other areas of the passing game. If he's able to establish a deep ball with Pierce and also get on a, a really good, uh, you know, build a lot of chemistry, I should say, with Pittman, especially that you would think prototype-wise would be your kind of third down go-to, third and seven, need those tough yards. Pittman's the guy you look for. If they are both able to really help Richardson's adjustment and really even make some tough catches and bail him out a few, I think that, especially on offense, is probably the most important duo the Colts need to have. So if you have two receivers playing at a high level, that's going to make Richardson's job just so much more easier. Yeah, and if, if your pick comes together with, with CBS's pick, that would be the greatest thing for Anthony Richardson yes. possible. Nelson yes. and Kelly step up and play, you know, at the top of their levels, and Pittman and Pierce both do. Uh, you know, he's got protection and he's got playmakers on the outside. That would, I think, really accelerate Anthony Richardson's development. I think that would be huge for them. I'll go to the other side of the ball. And we don't even know the identity of these two yet, uh, but I think it's incredibly important that starting outside cornerbacks end up having a good year. Um, and, and right now, just for this argument's sake, I'll go with Juju Brents and Dallas Flowers. Um, I think even the youth at quarterback, to me, the corner situation is, is a bigger uh, question mark because the Colts know if it comes to it, they've got Gardner Minshew. 
He's a veteran. He's made starts in this league before. He can go out there and he can at least operate the offense and and do it at a, at an NFL caliber level. So if they're in a situation where they feel like Anthony Richardson's injured or he's not ready to do, you know, what what needs to be done in that moment, uh, they've got a backup plan. There's a plan B there. It may not be the best plan B, uh, but it's there's an NFL caliber player behind him. At corner, I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, in this instance, we're talking about Kenny Moore being on the inside, where he primarily plays. After him, you've got rookies and guys who've not played much in this league. I mean, all across the board. If Dallas Flowers isn't that number two guy, it's probably going to be Darius Rush, who's also a rookie, or Daryl Baker, who's not a rookie by designation, but a rookie by experience, or Tony Brown, who's a veteran, but hasn't really played a lot on the outside, is more suited to, to be Kenny Moore's backup, or Jalen Jones, who's, guess what, a rookie. So it's – I just look at that spot, and I think you don't have the safety net there. There isn't really that plan B. If one of these guys or more is injured, and corners get injured all the time. I mean, that's Chuck Pagano used to always say they're like Ferraris. You know, they're they're high performance, but they they're also high maintenance. You you got to do a lot of work on them, keep them running. Um, and I think that's just nature of that position. There, there's so many ways that a corner can get tied up or can get you know injured because most of them aren't. Now they do have bigger guys, so we'll see how that goes. Most of them aren't bigger players. Uh, maybe that's Gus Bradley's whole idea. He wants his corners to do the injury and not to be receiving the injuries. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because I think that position to me, arguably the thinnest on the depth chart in the on the roster. And if you have, for instance, Brent and Flowers step up over there and play at even – average NFL starter levels. I think that would be huge for not just this defense, but this, this entire team. Especially with their age too. Where, like you said, like this is could that you can obviously can carry through and that, you know, you can rely on them for the next, let's say five years or so. It's not one of those situations where they're on a one-year deal on the tail end of their careers. Even if they play well, how much more they have left again, this is a team that's in a, a long build. So you're right. In the sense that if, they, if the Colts can feel good by the end of the 2023 season, that they have a really solid duo on the outside. That's a that's a big win for this team. Defensively, though, honestly, I would say more important than corner, I would go defensive end in terms of a duo that has to play well with Quiddy Pay and we'll put Dio Dangbo because I, Samson Ebukam is I would say maybe ideally if you he's your third edge rusher, you feel better about that because Dio and Quiddy, not only because they're drafted, but also their age as well. You feel like that should be the tandem, the one-two punch that is here for the long haul. You hope he's here for the long haul, especially for Cordy Pay, where this is going to year three. If he can really take a big jump here and develop consistency, that's one where if you're really cold, you feel really good. It's been a problem for a while, right? They've not really got sustained edge pressure um, and have had you know a ton of production and a ton of consistent production now, really ever since Robert Mathis and, and Dwight Freeney left. Um, if you can kind of get them at least back on the right track where you feel like, okay, we got two young defensive ends that are growing here and definitely, you know, can continue to develop and be a force going forward at the end of 2023. I would say you're feeling really good. If you're Gus Bradley and really good about this Colts defense that you can get a, a really good duo on the edge to obviously, as we know, get pressure to the quarterback, which maybe outside of quarterback is the second most important aspect of the game when it comes to trying to winning games. 
And that's why these two were drafted. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to forget how excited Jim Irsay was that day that they were drafted and talking about these bookend pass rushers and they're going to get back into that, that situation. So year three, it's time for them to start playing that way. It's time for them to, to take a hold of, of those roles and, and go out and, um, you know, make it happen. I do think it's probably going to be by committee again this year, like it was last year. And that, that worked out for them. They had 44 sacks. They were really close to a franchise record. Um, I think you're going to see similar situation to that with Ebucam, as you mentioned. I think Tyquan Lewis is going to work into that mix. They brought in Jannard Avery, who may come in to, to play with all this. Um, but I think it's going to be by committee. I think it would be much better for them if it's not, if if Pei and, and Odengbo are able to step up and, and separate themselves, and then you have the committee behind them filling in. I think that's the better way for, for this to go. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I guess one more duo I would throw out there that I think could be of interest too, because I'm going to go on one really quickly. I mean, obviously Franklin, Zaire Franklin and, and Shaq Leonard, if Shaq is healthy, has a chance to to be right there with Grover and, and Buckner um, if they are both healthy and, and playing at a high level. But I think the intriguing one, and it, it fits these rules, um, but it's probably not come right to mind is Kenny Moore and, and Julian Blackman. Uh, they'll be the nickel mm. and strong safety. They talked a lot this off season about, you know, Julian last year after Kenny got hurt, had to come in and play nickel. Mm-hmm. So he saw the field from a different angle and something closer to where he's going to be this year is, is strong safety. Uh, he's going to play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. I think there's a synergy between those two that maybe hasn't always been there because of way the way things went last year. It might be like the ultimate silver lining of, of last season is that Blackman ended up getting a different perspective and, and being comfortable moving into that strong safety spot, which also allows them to keep Rodney Thomas on the field as the free safety, which the way he played last year is important. Uh, but I think you just have – almost a mentorship thing going on there uh, where Kenny Moore's kind of taken Julian Blackman under his wing. Blackman's another guy who's been injured, has had flashes. You want to see him take that next step up. And it just feels like with the position change and with sort of the synergy between him and Kenny right now, that's something that if they both play well, it could really help out not just the defense in general, uh, but maybe both of them to get new contracts here. And especially, too, with those two almost by default, especially playing-wise, being the two most experienced guys in the secondary, right? If they're especially if they're healthy and playing well, that should be able to rub off on so many other guys, especially on the outside, they're inexperienced. And like I said, if you're able to keep them both around, which would be huge, it's like, again, you help the secondary continue to get better because you still have that veteran presence there, whereas if one or both get hurt and not on the field or leave after the season, you're kind of looking around and going, boy, this is... This is really short on experience. A lot of those guys, I would assume, will rotate in, like you mentioned, with injuries and the inexperience. I'm guessing we'll see more than two corners on the outside this year, George. So it will be almost a trial by fire or maybe baptism by fire is the better, the, the better word to use there or a better phrase to use there. But yeah, it, to have some guys that have kind of been through it and see it, I think is huge, not just for this season, but obviously going forward as well. I like that one a lot. To wrap up here, because I was just kind of thinking about this when we were kind of going back and forth, which duo is more important for the Colts' success in 2023? Is it the duo of Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor, or is it the duo of Anthony Richardson and Michael Pittman Jr. in terms of putting production on the field? 
is it the run pass game you think is going to be more important or is it going to be the, I guess the run run game, if you will, with, with JT and Richardson, you think that'll be the, the bigger duo here for this team? It's a really good question in part, because I think from the way that, that Steichen seems to want to drop this offense with the deep shots and, Obviously, that's where Richardson is is his strongest right now. You lean towards Pittman because you want to make sure that 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 high productivity is out there. And I think Pittman's going to be the move the chains guy. He's going to be that third and eight, third and six type of guy. Um, in addition to to having big plays here and there, uh, so I think that would be huge. But on the other side, you could make the argument that it's the Richardson Taylor duo that could open up more for the passing game. The more success they're able to have, the more defenses have to focus on them. Uh, you could open up more of the passing game than just one receiver. So I think I will go that way uh, simply because I think with Pittman might, I mean, he definitely will help Pierce the more production he has, but I'm not sure that that does much for the run game. The deep ball will, because it'll pull some people out of the, the box. But I think the run game, if it's clicking, if they're both at the highest level that you can, you know, we've seen what Jonathan Taylor can do. And if Richardson hits his ceiling in, in the run game, I just think it opens up so much more for the offense in general. I mean, defenses are going to be really put in a lot of conflict trying to decide, you know, what do you want to do? Uh, do you want to creep up knowing that that deep ball is, is probably Richardson's strength right now? Or do you want to hope that, you know, you can stop them without loading the box. I think that that to me is the most dangerous thing this offense can do this year is get those two running at a level where defenses are are just really perplexed about what they're going to do next. I would say Taylor for two reasons. One is like you said, if you are able to get the run game going, now that really sets up the pass game where you are loading the box with seven, eight guys consistently, that's just going to make Anthony Richardson's life then as a passer a lot easier. So obviously, you know, again, I think, like you said, I think they will try to to run the ball to set up the pass is kind of maybe the feel, especially early on for Richardson that I kind of get from this offense. But also, too, you go back to last year with Shane Sykin in Philly. Look, not that the Colts have anywhere near the talent on the roster that the Eagles do, but you look at how the Eagles offense ran. Not only do they run the ball to set up the pass, but also you see Jalen Hurts. He had A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and... um. Oh, I'm blanking on that. Uh, Dallas Goddard. Dallas oh, Goddard. Le- Le- are the three-headed monster in terms of receiving options. And they spread the ball out a ton on top of other options they had in the passing game with their running backs, with Quez. Like, they had four or five legitimate receivers that, you know, contributed, plus tight ends, plus Miles Sanders and co. out of the backfield as well. So it wasn't like the Eagles offense was just, okay, we're going to – when we throw the ball, it's, it's one guy, right? We're focusing on one guy. They spread the ball out a ton. And so with that, if you were able to get Jonathan Taylor going, it's not like then when the pass game's opening up, it's going to be the Michael Pittman show where he's going to get 100 balls and be the main guy in offense. You have Pittman, you have Pierce, you have Jelani Woods, you have hopefully Drew Ogletree, you have Josh Downs, you have Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield as well. Like not in terms of talent, but in terms of options, the Colts and Eagles are kind of the same where it's not going to be a one-headed monster in terms of the passing game where it's going to be, oh, anytime Richardson's passing, it's I'm looking Pittman's way every time first. You'll have different reads for different players, and you all think we'll have an abundance of options where you I think you'll see a, a spreading out of the ball where it won't be too heavy towards one player, which again would kind of go back to you don't need to have 
an elite established connection with Pittman Jr. Just because you're going to be getting the ball to so many different players that again is also help predicated on running the ball and opening everything up. So that's why I'm with you. I would go Jonathan Taylor just because it is feel like it does feel like a run first offense. And if you run the ball, obviously we know you're able to open up the pass game. And once you're able to do that, he should kind of be like a point guard, spread it out like Jalen Hurts did and have, again, not talent wise, but option wise, similar options to the way Jalen Hurts ran the offense last year. We spread it out, keep defenses on their toes. And it also makes Richardson a better quarterback if he's reading the defense and going where the ball you know, where the receiver's open and the defense tells him to go compared to just locking in on one guy and saying third and seven, no matter what they're doing, I'm throwing the ball to MPJ. I think that was part of the problem when Lynch was here is that they got a little too locked in on Pittman. Yes. And and they weren't able to uh, make big plays when when defenses took him away. And so you you don't want to get into that situation again. Uh, Last year too, you know, at times when, when Ryan was on the field, I think they were too locked into Pittman last year. Uh, and they weren't able to really open up the rest of that offense. So, yeah, you're going to need to find ways to do that. I think with Matt Ryan, a lot of that was his, you know, inability to really push the ball far enough downfield consistently. Uh, so it was Pittman he was going to because that's what he trusted more underneath. Pittman and the tight ends. I mean, that, that was kind of most of the passing game. I think you need to open that up, get that that field spread a little bit. And, yeah, I think Jonathan Taylor helps you do that. Absolutely. So dynamic duos will be definitely something to watch so far this season. CBS Sports says Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson are the best duo for the Colts heading to 2023. Could not disagree with that one more. Do you think it's Buckner and Grover? And you heard just kind of George and I talking about a few different duos and offensive defense that really do need to step up this season for this team and Richardson, especially to have some success this season. Speaking of Richardson, George, it's I think it's in our contract. We cannot go one pod without talking about Anthony Richardson in some capacity. You are shaking your head uh, in agreement there. So we definitely need to talk about AR5. Let's do it, George, in this context then. Obviously, there's a lot of unknown with how he'll play, when he'll play in the regular season. So let me ask this on the surface. If Anthony Richardson mirrors what Peyton Manning did in his rookie year in 1998, because we're not going to do Andrew Luck. That's just, I think, too high of a bar and almost too unfair You're where you're putting the kid up to fail right away. But if you go back to what, what Peyton Manning did in his rookie year in 1998, and Richardson basically mirrors what he did, would that be a successful season? So let's kind of go number by, uh, by number here, George. Kind of yes or no, would you say that that's a success uh, based on the stat I give you? Let's start with this. Peyton Manning, his rookie year, started 16 games. Obviously, there's one extra so we'll give maybe a, a one-game grace period here for Anthony Richardson. If he starts 16 games, is that a success in 2023? Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Don't have to waste much time there, obvious. How about this one? Peyton Manning, his rookie year. Colts went 3-13. and 13. Again, obviously an extra game, but let's just say the Colts get three wins in 2023. Now, would you take that, but would you... Would you, I guess maybe the easier question would be for this specific answer or this specific question, would that be a failure in your, in your mind if they are sitting there at three and 14? No, as I said, again and again, the record doesn't matter this year uh, and it might get you Marvin Harrison. So there might be some, some benefits to that. Right. I, I'm with you there. If they go three and 14, three wins, that's to me a win in a sense, but just because like you said, now you are in the sweepstakes to get the best receiver 
in the draft and really get a, a huge weapon for Richardson's development. Like we've said a ton of times, but just to reiterate, the record in 2023 is irrelevant. Obviously, we want them to win every game. They're not going to come close to that. But 3-14 and 14 next year, no reason to go crazy, to cancel Richardson, to, tre- to, to cut him. No reason to get crazy whatsoever. Record will have nothing to do with how he will be judged in 2023. All right, Peyton Manning led the league in 1998 in pass attempts. He had 575 pass attempts, which averages out to basically 36 pass attempts per game. Now, in the modern day NFL, because that's again with Peyton playing, you know, over 20 years ago, 36 attempts or 575 attempts, I should say, for a season is the eighth most last year for quarterbacks last year. So if Richardson is top 10 in passing attempts, would that would you take that as a win or would you say, oh, that's not really the balance I want? Yeah, it's not really the balance I think they need. I don't think you want to put that on the shoulders of of a rookie quarterback. I think that number had a lot to do with the number we're going to see later here. Yes. I like the tease. Honestly, I actually would take that. I would say that's a win just because when you see Richardson's play, I, we just talked about the importance of Jonathan Taylor. So I'm not trying to contradict myself here and that <laughs> duo working well. But what I, what, I, what I will say is like Richardson had a lot of this discussion about him as being kind of a Cam Newton type where he runs a lot. Then you watch where Florida he really does look to pass more than he does look to run. So when you're looking at that number, about, let's say, 36 pass attempts per game, I'll take that as where he is still looking to pass more than he's running. And I think to me that's a good thing. Even if he's not having success throwing the ball, even if it leads to a number we're going to get to here in a little bit that Peyton Manning's infamous for, if he is still sitting back there, and even when the play breaks down scrambling and still looking to throw the ball more than he's looking to run, to me that's still a win. So I actually will take 36 pass attempts per game. It is a lot. And again, you're talking about a, a top 10 in terms of attempts, uh, even just in last year's game. So I don't think he's going to lead the league like Peyton did in 1998. We're still talking about a top 10 in the NFL and all the NFL in terms of attempts last year. I would still take that as a win just because that I would interpret that number, George, meaning he is still looking to pass more than he's looking to run. And I think that's not only what his game is, and that's kind of a good mark of someone who's comfortable and able to read the defense and not kind of putting the rookie blinders on, but also to someone who, who's hopefully having his game grow. And that's the more sustainable way rather than being a battering ram 10, 15 times a game, which we've seen, unfortunately, other quarterbacks do that leads to a shorter shelf life uh, in the game. That's for sure. No doubt about that. You don't want to see that end up in. We, we, we dealt with that here before. Yes. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, it does hit too close to home. How about passing yards? Peyton Manning, his rookie year, 3,739 passing yards. That averages to about 233 yards per game. Again, in today's NFL, that would be the 16th most in the 2022 season. Would you take that as a win? Basically, 230 passing yards per game on average over the course of the season, would you say, like, was that a number, if that's what we say at the end of the 2023 season for Richardson, you would say, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, because that's where I want him to be in the pass attempts range, too. I want him to be in that middle. If he has about 14, 15, 16 in terms of attempts and 14, 15, 16 in terms of yardage, then that's going to tell me he's been efficient uh, and and they're using him enough. Uh, He's not shying away from throwing the ball. Uh, and he's also making plays when he does because, you know, if the, if the attempts are high and the yards are low, 
that's not going to be really good, obviously. Um, I'd like to see both those numbers right there in, in the middle of the league. I know it's kind of like you said, it's like top 10 in attempts. And when you're middle of the tier and yards, not great. I still will take that just because I think like I have no problem with him passing a lot, but I'm also realistic in the sense that he's not going to be completing a ton of passes either. Like there is inconsistency. Some games he might go 25 or 36. Other games he might go 17 or 36. Like that's something I'm absolutely bracing for. So I do think that like I would be happy if he is, you know, throwing the ball a ton, but also I'm also cognizant of the fact that it could be some, you know, ugly games there that really do balance it out where I don't think it's going to be, oh, he throws a lot and also means it's going to be a lot of yards. He's not going to be Jameis Winston. We've referenced this a, a few times. Jameis Winston's 2019 season where he led the league in passing yards. I forget if he, I don't think he led the league in passing touchdowns, but he was close with 33 and led the league in interceptions with 30. Like, but it correlated to where he threw the ball a lot. A lot of touchdowns, a lot of picks, a lot of yards. I don't think with Richardson, you're going to see a correlation between pass attempts and passing yards, where if he throws more, have more yards. It will be kind of, again, a seesaw up and down, right? So even though I do think that he hopefully will have a ton of attempts, I'm not expecting a ton of yards, at least in his rookie season. um, That is for sure. 26 touchdowns is what Peyton Manning threw in his rookie year. That would be seventh most in the NFL this year. Obviously, I'm going to assume, George, you would take that. Oh, so, absolutely. That, that that number is on the high end of, of what I expect. Then if I put the number at 20 and a half over under, would you take the over or the under on passing, just passing touchdowns? We'll go for Anthony Richardson here in 2023. I think the uh, – I think it's going to be the under. I think slightly over would be – where you want to be. I mean, he had 17 last year at Florida. So obviously a couple of us games, I'm thinking somewhere in that 21 range is, is where I'm expecting him to come in this year. So, you know, anything 21 or above, I'll say was a good number. So if it's 21, you would say a success. Mm, yeah. For me, 20 and a half, I would take the over two. Obviously we take the 26 touchdowns. Now, again, you're talking about top 10 just a passing touchdowns. But I would I would take the over on 20 and a half. And again, I think that's a, that's a win too. Kind of, I'm going to look at, I don't know how you feel about this, George. I'm going to look at touchdown passes a lot, a lot like I look at the record. I'm not going to be going crazy if it's a low touchdown number, just because again, I do am embracing uh, for a lot of ups and downs. And I do expect once I get to the red zone and the field shrinks, that's going to be, I think, an area that Richardson is going to have a lot to learn. And so I do expect him to be running a lot. I expect Jonathan Taylor to be running a lot. So I don't think they'll be throwing a ton inside the 20s, especially early. So I do expect that touchdown number to be low, but I'm not going to go, like if he has 15 touchdown passes in 2023, I'm not going to be freaking out. I don't know how you feel about that, but I kind of look to me, the number of wins and the number of touchdown passes, passes in 2023 is almost irrelevant. Yeah, I think more total touchdowns is going to be the thing with him. You know, is he getting in with his legs? Then do you re- does it really matter which way? Um, and really just efficiency of the offense in general. Because like you're saying, if if you're getting down inside the five and Jonathan Taylor's finishing off drives, then your touchdown t- pass total is not really all that relevant here. So, yeah, I, I think it's just efficiency of the offense. Is he getting into the red zone, getting them opportunities to score? That That's what I'd be looking at. I would agree. And that's why, like I said, it's one of those where I'm not going to go crazy about a touchdown 
number just because again it, it's all about development and consistency and if that means that the touchdown passes are low to begin with and you pick up steam at the end i don't think that if, if the number is 16 we should be freaking out that much now here's a number that could get fans a little uh th- their panties bunch in a wad here the number that always goes back to Peyton Manning's rookie year 28 interceptions he came close to, to joining Jameis Winston or really becoming the first member, I should say, of the 30-30 club, throwing 26 touchdowns and 28 interceptions. Still the rookie record for, for reference last year. Uh, 15 interceptions was the uh, league leader by Dak Prescott there. So almost half as many as Peyton threw uh, in that rookie year in 2018. So obviously, or 1998, 2018, holy cow, 1998, 20 years too short there. What is a number, George, you look at? Because obviously 28 people are going to be freaking out, and that's a number that's way too high. Is there a number? Like like if it's 15, that was the league leader last year. A few quarterbacks had that. If he throws 15 picks, what is your panic meter, or are you freaking out that much about that number specifically? Or I maybe – I think it's another number that I don't know that you can focus on the the number itself because I think even in Manning's case, a lot of that came from one how much he had to throw, and a lot of the reason he had to throw as often as he did is they were behind all the time. It was a three and thirteen season; they were constantly behind. A lot of those picks are coming in situations where he's just trying to make something happen. So you don't love them. Your twenty eight's never good. It's not like oh well, it's okay. This is why that was fine, but. I think that that's going to be, you know, if he throws 15, 16, 17 picks, but they're fourth quarter picks when they're down two touchdowns, I'm not going to feel the same way about it as I am if it's 15, 16, 17 picks and their first half picks that are taking points off the board in close games. I mean, I think it's really more about when they happen and the decisions that he's making. There are times that that's always my argument on the Carson Wentz season, to be honest. People say, well, he only threw seven interceptions. Which is true, but you look where those seven interceptions came, most of them are killers. I feel like six of them were against the Titans, it feels like. But it's it's just – there were times where I think he should have made a more risky throw, and he didn't. And I think that's – to me, it's not just a number. You can look at the number, and, and you're going to have feelings on it, but that's just box score scouting, and, and that's not going to get you anywhere. To me, it's really more about the decision-making he's he has – and I would rather see my quarterback in certain situations be risky. And if it gets intercepted, so be it. Not Matt Ryan last year, but also not Carson Wentz the year before. Like, I guess out of the three, let's say pass attempts, touchdowns, and interceptions. The, the one I'm looking at the most is going to be pass attempts. Just because it's kind of what we talked about before, George, when you were at minicamp. And for the first time you saw Richardson in back-to-back days. And you're able to see how he responds to adversity. Like, if he throws 15 picks, I'm not freaking out. But what I want to see is if Shane Second still kind of goes back to the well, and again, not a Jameis Winston situation where Bruce Arians had him kept throwing the ball no matter what, and he got to the point where he's throwing 30 picks. But I want to see a situation where he's not afraid both Steichen to call pass plays and Richardson to let it rip of still going after it after you throw a pick. So, like, the, the number of interceptions to me is not – worrisome what i'm more looking at is and i'm almost kind of excited to see in a year that again record doesn't mean anything if the pick number is high how does he respond either after a game where he throws through interceptions or even after a drive when he throws a pick that he got fooled or should have made a better read on is he ready to come right back out and be aggressive and still be able to make that same read or same throw again 
that's what I'm more watching. So like the interception number is not irrelevant. Cause again, if he's throwing 20 picks, that is concerning. And I think you can see mm-hmm. some situations that, like I said, his decision-making would be very shaky, but I'm more looking at when it comes to that interception number, is he still throwing the ball after, is he going to get gun shy or will he still come back and say, you know, that's my mistake. Kind of like Andrew Luck. I'm going to go out there and make up for it. And I'm going to make sure this next drive ends in points. That's one of the areas that separated Luck so much is because when he did make a pick and he was also not a little, he was a little carefree, you know, with the, he was a little free with the ball. Maybe I should say where he did, you know, his interception number was a little high, but mm-hmm. that was a guy that felt like he made up for it a lot more times than he did. And after a big turnover, that's what I'm watching here for Richardson for sure. So that's why you look at the interception number. Obviously you don't want 28, but if he's near the league lead, 14, 15, 16, I'm not freaking out. If he responds well after them, I'll take that as a good sign for sure. Two I more think quick- the common denominator for both of us, there's no fear. That's what we want to see. No Exactly fear. right. Exactly. And if that means 20 interceptions, so be it. Again, Peyton Manning bounced back after 28. So that number, like I said, if you, it's more about how you respond to the interception than the, the number itself, at least in year number one, for sure. Two more quickly here, George. This should be an easy one as well. Peyton Manning is passer rating in his rookie year, 71.2. Now, again, different game, but in if that uh, comparing that to last year's numbers, that'll be 55th among all quarterbacks in the NFL last year. Not great. If he is between 25 to 30, let's say, and this is also quarterbacks, this is passer ratings, any quarterback that plays, it's not just the starting 32. You play three, four, five games, you're in there. But if he is somewhere in the 25 to 30 range, would you take that uh, next year in terms of passer rating? Yeah, because again, we know this is this is a process. It's going to take some time. Obviously, not the Manning number. That's too low. Uh, where he ranked, I don't know where it's going to be. You know where things come out. Uh, but I think that that's it's going to come with the territory. So we're talking about probably not going to be the most efficient quarterback at least early in the season. Um, so efficiency plays a big role into that. But if by the end of the year, if he's in that twenty-five to thirty range, I, I would call that a success. I would love for him to be, I mean, top 20 uh, obviously would be ideal, but if he's, I'll say 20 to 25, I would take that. I would feel pretty good. 25 to 30 is a little, at least for me, concerning. But again, like I said, it's one of those things where a lot of the numbers don't matter, but definitely in that 20 to 25 range, I would feel, I'd feel pretty good compared to kind of being the, the later half and 25 to 30. See some names in that range. It's a little spooky, but uh, definitely I would love, 25 20 to 25 but definitely not 55th that that's one of those numbers kind of like the 20 interceptions definitely not 55th in 2023 that's for sure and finally despite the 28 interceptions and the 26 touchdowns Peyton Manning finished second in rookie of the year voting in 1998 Randy Moss was the winner there if he finishes second Randy yeah exactly right talk about a bust not if he finishes second in rookie of the year voting a success for you George yeah, if he's second to to my pick, Jackson Smith and Jigba, then that's a really good that's a really good season and a nice little mirroring of of what happened apparently in 1998. Uh, with the, all the quarterbacks and the situation it is, I don't expect him to be the rookie of the year. I think Bryce Young's got a really good chance. I think C.J. Stroud's going to be in the mix. Um, you know, I I pick Smith and Jigba because I think he's got a chance to come right into Seattle and do well. I think Bijan Robinson's going to end up in in this conversation. Uh, if he finishes second in that group, say a pretty good year, and I'd be pretty impressed with it. What about second among quarterbacks? Because you're right, there are a lot of good rookies in good situations. If he is second in t- quarterbacks, maybe that's fourth or fifth in the voting. Would you consider that a success? 
Yeah, you know, he's third quarterback taken. So if he beats one of the two guys ahead of him, I think that you're going to feel good about that uh, from the standpoint of, you know, what you did in the draft. And again, I think for him so much of this, I hate to say because when I when I talk about like results don't matter, I, I hate those words even come out of my mouth. But so much of this is more about feel and development. And, you know, it, it's really more important that we see him growing. Uh, you see him making the right decisions. You see the guys around him growing. You know, I think that's – I'm more worried about that than I am any number, where he ranks or, you know, what what he produces. Uh, I think it's just more important that he's – you're seeing that that growth from him from week to week. I think Bryce Young by far will be the best rookie quarterback. I know hot take there, and I think he's in a really good situation. But I think he should finish in second in, in terms of quarterbacks. Like, C.J. Stroud is, is the more polished and more NFL-ready quarterback. But you look at Houston, George, like – I got questions about what they're doing. Offense coordinator, first time OC Cohen plays in Bobby Slowick. Uh, Slowick, um, I should say. I think I actually don't know the pronunciation. So I think hopefully one of the two pronunciations. Hopefully I got right. But he's coming <laughs> over from the 49ers with Tamika Ryan's. I have no idea who's throwing the ball to. Like that receiving core, especially with Brandon Cooks traded this offseason, is a bunch of no names. So and the offense line has, has questions too. Richardson, despite his learning curve being steeper and more progress needs to be made in order to be NFL ready compared to Stroud. I think he's in a better situation. I do oh. trust Shane Sykin to develop him better. I like Shane Sykin's offense. You look at, at least on paper, the talent the Colts have an offense. They have more weapons and more established talent than Houston does. Even though, again, CJ Stroud is more pro-ready, Richardson at the end of the year should have a better year than Stroud. So again, it is, yes, not a numbers-based um, season for Richardson in terms of how we'll grade him and how we'll judge how he does in his rookie year. But definitely, if he is the second quarterback, I think that's, I think that should be the expectation. He should have a better year than C.J. Stroud. I think he, hopefully, if that's the case, at the end of the season, you'll be feeling pretty good about going into year two and beyond. All right, so kind of a quickie here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. That will do it for this edition. Really do appreciate you tuning in. If this is your first time, or you have friends that are Colts fans that want to tune in, bring them into our community. Bring them into the family here, the Blue Horseshoe family. Easiest way to do so is by pushing them to our YouTube page, Blue Horseshoe Pod, or checking us out wherever you get your podcasts, the Blue Horseshoe Pod, in the nice, bright blue logo. That is our fresh feed, our new feed, where every single show will be dropped as we go on. We will be back next Tuesday. Still some more, you know, off-season summer school, if you will, preview getting ready for training camp. We'll have a little bit of a break. We'll tell you about that later on in kind of the middle of July, right before training camp starts. But we will be back next Tuesday. So have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.